I didn't get smarter over the course of three to four years, I can assure you that, but I learned ownership. I learned commitment, I learned discipline, I learned resilience, and just the no-quit attitude that the Marine Corps taught me. That's Mike Sorelli, retired U.S. Navy SEAL, founder of the Vetted Foundation, and co-founder of Echelon Front Overwatch. In this episode, we're diving into part two of Dan's conversation with Mike. As Mike's story continues, he digs deep into the importance of self-awareness and detaching from outcomes so you can perform at the highest level. After you listen, be sure to check out Mike's book, The Talent War, available November 2020. I'm Kylie Schmitz. I'm Dan Lappin, and this is Breaking Sales, a nonconformist take on rejecting the sales status quo. Join the Lappin 180 team as we break the tried and died sales tactics and techniques that are failing you and your prospects. So one of the things that that I've learned and I've observed, if you want to perform at a high level under a pressure situation, you have to learn to detach from an outcome. You cannot perform on the field or on the ice or on the court if you're so worried about, am I going to win or am I going to lose? You know, the same thing is in business where you can't go into a boardroom and you can't give a great presentation or persuade a company to choose to do business with you if you're so focused on the yes or the no of the outcome. You have to let that go so that you can be in the moment and you can perform in the clutch. Now, after reading many books about the SEALs and all the things that many of you have been through, are you guys taught very specific strategies to compartmentalize the good and the bad during a mission so that you can stay focused on your process and execution? Is there like formal training that you guys have to go through to do that or is it innate? It's part of the evaluation process and it's also trained. I'll give you an example. Dan, if if you and I were, and and let's say one of your colleagues were were on a patrol in Iraq and our colleague was shot in the middle of the street, what's the natural reaction for you and I? Help them get them out of the way. Save them. Save them. Yes, but if they just shot him in the middle of the street and you run to him, what's most likely going to happen to you? I'm going to get shot too. Yes. So what you just did is a very emotional human reaction. But on the battlefield, is that what's best for the organization? Because you just became another casualty. So that was a human reaction and that was based off emotion. It was not a logical decision. Compartmentalizing is also this ability to emotionally detach. Now, the right decision is to yell at our colleague and say, hey, put a tourniquet on your leg if he was shot there, and to address the enemy, which is our biggest problem. And once we can eliminate the enemy, we're no longer getting shot at, guess what we can now do? We can go pull our friend to to safety without taking in any additional casualties. Another individual, a gentleman named Rich Devinney, who we interviewed in the book, talks about empathy. Calls it, he calls it empathy on a dimmer switch, which is a form of compartmentalization. When we go out on a mission in Afghanistan or Iraq, the bad people were usually in buildings with women and children, if not for their own wives and, the, and their children. And they're bad individuals. We need to take them off the battlefield. And, and what Rich refers it to is that we dim down the empathy to a very low level. And we, we hit that house hard. And we try to protect the non-combatants 
as best as possible. We do a very good job of it. But when you're in that house and, and the house has been taken down, you've captured the bad guy and there's women and, and, and children screaming, it hits your heart. It does as a human being. And if you have kids, it, it hits you hard. But we become very good in training our guys to dial that empathy down, to focus on mission success and victory. And ultimately, when we return to base, guys will take it out of compartmentalization, dial the empathy back up. And so, yes, it's very much something that can be trained. And you explain to people why they have to do that, because it's not a normal human behavior. And if they can understand why that they're doing it to ultimately achieve mission success, in our world, from a sales standpoint and from a business leader standpoint, you know, you'll be in a meeting and someone in that meeting is going to say something that you're not going to like. They're going to say something that might represent that meeting not going the way you want it to go. And so emotion kicks in. People feel frustration. People feel disappointment. So is there like a particular technique that you've learned to calm yourself down in that moment? Is there anything you can share with our listeners on that? I will tell you one of the best things you can do is remove yourself from the situation for a few minutes. And if able, I, I'm not kidding you, look in the mirror. Look in the mirror and remind yourself that this is your ego coming out. If, if you are so emotional about what somebody said, that is your ego, which is tied to your feelings and feelings will never weigh in well to any uh, any decision. Nobody makes a good decision in an emotional state. That's just period. If I, if I go to your, your respective homes and ask your husbands and wives if you make great decisions when you get heated, the, the answer will be absolutely not. So if you're in a situation where you can get up and just remove yourself from the situation for, for a few minutes and emotionally detach and then come back and re-engage, that's the best tactic that you can employ. Or if you think you're, you know, you bring in emotion into the argument is, is going to make things worse, then just don't talk. Just refrain from that conversation. In your experience, can self-awareness be taught? Yes, and there's a good technique. And it goes back to the after action. After actions are just not for the organization and your teams. It's also for you. Dan, I'm not kidding you. And this is what a lot of people fail to do. I mean, it's to say like, can I work a discipline? absolutely you can you can train discipline can I, can I increase my resiliency you can absolutely increase your resiliency but you have to make a very intentional effort to get better at those things and conduct a personal after action so for leaders listening to this if you can just take five minutes at the end of the day outside of doing a after action with your team and do a personal debrief I'm talking about a brutal personal debrief on yourself then that is the method to which you can increase empathy and work at being a well-rounded, balanced individual. Again, if, if you do that, and if you approach it as if it's mandatory, not optional, and maybe it's not five minutes of work, maybe it's when you lay your head down, is that you just take three minutes to think through the day, hey, what did I do well? What did I do poorly? Why did I do those uh, things poorly? And how do I, uh, I make the necessary changes to make sure I don't repeat those behaviors or those mistakes? So when you guys are doing debriefs, all right, how soon do they happen after the mission? And then maybe if you can share, what are some of the top themes that you're debriefing on? A absolutely. So it is the internal evaluation process to improve both your organization while developing your people. We, we debrief just everything, every single day. If, if there is a Harvard business case example 
of mentoring and coaching your people and continually evolving them. It is the U.S. military. We would go out into the mountains of Afghanistan and we would leave at 10 p.m. at night under the cover of darkness. And then we would maybe get home after the helicopters come pick us up at 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. and we're exhausted. Guys are dehydrated. They've been hiking in the mountains for five, six hours. They were just in a firefight. Their adrenaline went through the roof and then, and then dumped. And then we get back to base. And what most people would do, what most human beings would do is they probably would skip the process or they'd say, hey, let's get some sleep and we'll just talk about it in the morning. We don't do that. Even though we're exhausted, guys, make sure that their kit is prepared for the next night. And then we go to a team room where everyone sits down and we review the mission, even back to the planning phase. Hey, what happened during the planning phase based off the information we had? Did things go to plan? More importantly, what went wrong or what lessons did we learn? What things can we prevent from making mistakes in the future? And how do we change our processes and procedures based off the lessons we just learned? And those debriefs might take two hours sometimes to where we got out of there at 10 a.m. and the guys finally got to sleep and they would get up at 4 p.m. and do it all again. So if I'm a sales leader listening to this right now or a business leader, my big takeaway right now is I've got to get more committed and disciplined with the debriefs. No matter how long the day, no matter how long the week, I've got to make sure those debriefs happen right away and that we're doing a great job of being self-aware and truly taking a look at what happened and how do we do as objectively as we can. Dan, let me tell you this. I usually tell that story about being in the mountains of Afghanistan. And I, I, nine times out of 10, what I'll hear from business leaders is say, Mike, that's great. That works for you in the military because you guys have the time. And what that business leader really is telling me is I don't have the discipline to conduct these after action reviews and improving my organization in developing our people is not a priority to me. That's what you're actually saying when you don't have the time. Yeah. What they're saying at that point is improvement is a convenience. Yes. So the other question I have, can ownership be something that all of us can work on and improve? I, I hate to give an emphatic hell yes. It absolutely can. If you looked at me as a young high schooler, I didn't take ownership over anything. I, I graduated with a 2.9 out of high school. And then I joined the Marine Corps. And it's absolutely what those mentors, my coaches and mentors in the Marine Corps taught me. And the Marine Corps, don't make a mistake here. People love to say I'm a SEAL. The Marine Corps absolutely laid the foundation for me to be successful. And it started with great coaches and mentors that owned their lives. They accepted that they are not victims, that they own the majority of their outcomes. And then they started to instill those lessons in me. The Marine Corps taught me ownership and all the positive outcomes if you actually implement it in your life. And to give you an example, I only spent a few years in the active duty Marine Corps before they said, hey, we think we want to make you an officer. We're going to send you back to school. They sent me to Texas A&M and I graduated Texas A&M with a 3.7 in a lot of honor societies, in a lot of leadership development programs at Texas A&M. I didn't get smarter over the course of three to four years, I can assure you that. But I learned ownership. I learned commitment. I learned discipline. I learned resilience and just the no-quit attitude that the Marine Corps taught me. So yes, the bottom line is you can. You know, for our listeners right now, Mike, can you share those top, I think it's nine characters of high performers? So in the book... We did a lot of research. We looked at all the special operations communities 
And they had already sort of codified what attributes they were looking for in their hiring process. And each community had a different list. Some had a list of 12, some had a list of six, but they pretty much all were looking for ice cream, as one psychologist said, just slightly different flavors. And then we started to look at the business world and look at what core attributes leaders, regardless of domain, held in common. And so it was really an amalgamation between the business world and the special operations communities and what a high performer looks like. And what we came up with, the first one is drive. Second one is resiliency, adaptability, humility, integrity, effective intelligence, team ability, which is teamwork, team player, curiosity, and emotional strength. And those are the nine foundational character attributes of a high potential individual. This is just a good, concise list of what we thought was most important. So how do people get a hold of you and how do they buy your book? You can buy it anywhere books are sold. I know most people will probably go to Amazon like I do. It's, it's got audio as well as ebook, uh, paperback and, and hardback. And then to find us, again, the name of the company is EF Overwatch. If you go to EFOverwatch.com or email us at info at EFOverwatch.com, well, you can get a hold of us. So Dan, in the second part of the conversation with Mike Sorelli, he talks about a lot of other deep concepts. What key takeaways do you think our listeners can walk away with? There's three themes that really overlap with Mike. You know, he talks about after the mission debriefs and how from a high performance standpoint, that's one of the most critical times to learn and assess where you can improve. In our world, it's after the prospect conversation. Do you debrief? Do you analyze what went right, what went wrong, and how you can get better. The other piece we talk about is ownership, the importance of learning how to put your ego aside so you can take ownership of whether the meeting went well or it didn't go well. Because at the end of the day, whether it's an internal factor or an external factor that caused the meeting to go sideways with the prospect, you as a sales professional still own it. And the last one is self-awareness doing a deep dive on yourself. I know one of the things that we teach here, and we've talked about it, I think, in other episodes, is the conversation debriefs, where as a sales leader, if you're listening right now, or as a sales professional, what you should do is pick a partner or pick two or three people, and after every single one of your prospect conversations, the meetings that you have, you should have a set debrief that you do with someone on your team They don't need to be in the meeting, but they need to be the one asking you the questions. And one of the most powerful things that you should be asking is, where was your head during the meeting? Now, when we talk to a lot of sales professionals out there, we talk about where do you think you need to improve? What are the barriers for you going from X amount of earnings to X plus Y plus Z amount of earnings? And what we always find is, most sales professionals list external factors as the gap between what they make today and what they'd like to make tomorrow. Some of those external factors are, I need to get better at the technology side of my business. I need to expand my expertise. I need to call up market more. I need to broaden my centers of influence. We hear a lot of stuff like that. But we also know that the deepest improvement the improvement that really gets you from point A to point B in terms of your earning potential 
and your performance is doing a deep dive on yourself. And it's kind of cool to hear Mike talk about that from a military standpoint as well, where it's no different. The biggest improvements in performance come from doing the deep dive on yourself. Dan, Mike talked about the nine characteristics or the foundational attributes of high performance. Drive, resilience, adaptability, humility, integrity, effective intelligence, effective intelligence, teamwork, curiosity, and emotional strength. So Dan, can you translate how this might be applicable in our sales world? Well, you listed effective intelligence twice. Were you just trying to give me a hint that you wanted me to talk about that one? (laughs) No, it's because I stuttered the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully we cut that. (laughs) Actually, I hope we don't. I mean, we could talk about all nine of them, Kylie. You, me, Tom, and Pam talk about these all the time. I think one I'm going to start with, though, is curiosity. Curiosity is something where you're always willing to listen to a podcast, read an article, or ask a peer of yours questions. Because it's your natural ability and willingness to seek knowledge. I find that a lot of times sales professionals, when they start to become successful and they start to make more money than they thought they would ever make, their natural curiosity starts to go away. But what I've also found is the best of the best that we've worked with, those who truly do kick ass every single day and every single week, they're some of the most curious individuals out there. So think about yourself, if you're a listener out there, how curious are you? Do you read? Do you listen to podcasts? Do you ask for opinions of people without having to give your opinion as well? That's that natural curiosity. I think the second one is humility. It's just so true. We, we all perform so well when we have that humility inside us where we're not pounding our chest. We're not putting ourselves in bright lights. We're not already reading the headlines off the press for the next day. And we don't need or have that urgency to brag or to make ourselves the center of attention. It's that kind of humility where we're just willing to do the work. We're willing to take it on the chin if something doesn't go right, but we're not also going to put ourselves in bright lights when something goes well. We stay neutral. We stay right in the middle. And then the last one I, I have to say, because it's so true in sales, you have to be resilient. And what resilient means is you have to be able to bounce back. You have to have this process of something goes wrong. Does it take you an hour to get over it? Does it take you a day to get over it? Does it take you a week or two to get over it? The longer it takes for you to get over something, whatever it is that you're trying to get over, it's sucking your energy. It's taking your best energy and putting it towards something negative and in the past that you no longer can control or do anything different about it. You have to learn to get over things quickly and bounce back. Dan, how does all of this relate to having a growth mindset? When we ask individual sales professionals, hey, what holds you back? And we get those external factors, you know, um, price, not enough time in the day, 
the marketplace, need more expertise, more technical knowledge, things like that. That tells me that that person, at least at that moment in time, has a fixed mindset because they're listing everything off that's external to themselves. What I find is those individuals with a true innate growth mindset who have that natural curiosity that we talked about, they have a humility about themselves because they're willing to try things and they're not worried about the failure piece. Those with the growth mindset, they do tend to list off things that are more internal. Like I need to get better at asking questions or I need to get better at listening or I need to get better at understanding people and being a little bit more intuitive on how I'm reading the situation. Those are the individuals I would say that have the growth mindset. And they're the ones that will probably have a longer track record of success. You and Mike talked about the concept of detachment from the outcome or compartmentalizing. How does this translate into sales? Mike talked a little bit about it and he brought in the term empathy where from a military standpoint, if you remember from the episode, Mike talks about dialing down empathy because empathy is a very powerful human emotion that we feel for other people. And in order to perform at a high, high level, for at least the military, they had to learn how to dial down their empathy, which is take the emotion out of the moment. It's actually the same in sales. You have to learn how to take the emotion out of the moment. You cannot worry about an outcome. You cannot worry about labeling an answer that the prospect gives you or as good or bad. You have to eliminate the emotion so that you can stay in the moment and listen at a more powerful, higher level because you're in the moment and ask better questions because you're completely immersed in the moment with that prospect and your mind is not jumping ahead to what you may want to be a predetermined outcome. So again, and we've talked about this in many of our episodes, how important the concept of detachment is in high performance. Thanks for listening to Breaking Sales. If you want to get engaged with us outside of this podcast, be sure to go to our website, lapin180.com. That's L-A-P-P-I-N 180.com. And there you'll find information on upcoming workshops, different events we're doing throughout the United States, ways to engage with us on social media, as well as a form where you can suggest topics or guests for the podcast. We want to hear from you, so don't be shy. Kylie out. All right. Do we have another episode?